1: Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel, and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Well, this is a special Lighthouse Faith Podcast coming to you from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, I was able to record some compelling interviews of religious leaders on a variety of issues, but here in this episode, um, all three here are dealing with the war in Ukraine and the spiritual aspects of what the world is witnessing. Um, NRB brings together thousands of believers in the world of media. So you may hear some background noise um, in the interviews, but it's all good. Uh, the first interview is with Sam Brownback. He's the former ambassador to the International Religious Freedom he talked about the breakaway of the Ukraine Orthodox Church from the Russian Orthodox Church as one of the huge factors largely ignored by politicians of why Putin is now waging this war. Take a listen. Um, I want to get to Ukraine, your reaction now to what's happening in Ukraine with the Russia invasion.
2: Uh, well, number one, it's horrific. It's unimaginable. If you'd asked me a month ago, would Putin roll in with tanks into Ukraine, I would have giving you odds. No, he's not. He's just posturing. And here he is. He's rolling in. We've got the biggest land war in 70 years. You've got scenes that look like World War II that have taken place, only it's now. And you've got all these other Eastern European countries that are deeply concerned. I was talking to a man from Romania last night. Are we in the gun sites next? Uh, Are others? This is really an unthinkable Mm-hmm. thing that's taking place uh, now and there's and there's a deep religion tie to it which Absolutely. is interesting as well
1: let's I mean before we get to the religious tie there your reaction to to the fact that he has raised the nuclear
2: option unbelievable and yet now because he's rolled tanks into a neighboring sovereign nation who wasn't attacking him and he's got tactical nuclear weapons it's like I, this is a clear possibility. And two, it's not just Russia. You know, China's the puppet master standing behind this, because mm-hmm. he can't do this without the Chinese backing. And China's the big actor in this, and you don't know, are they going to move with Taiwan? And then they've partnered, both of them, with the Iranians and the Afghans. So you've now got terrorist states that are in league with China and Russia. and. Where will they let them unleash to, or what will they fund of the terrorist groups that the Israelis are, we may see?
1: A lot of people look at this from a political standpoint, but if you're a person of faith, and you obviously um, understand the religious components to this, what is at the heart of the religious components to Russia invading Ukraine?
2: The split of the Orthodox Church.
1: What happened there?
2: The Ukrainians decided they wanted their own Orthodox Church, like so many other countries have Orthodoxy that a lot of people in the United States don't understand particularly well, but is often split by nation identification. So you have the Greek Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, the Romanian Orthodox Church. Ukrainians said, we don't want to be part of the Russian Orthodox Church anymore. We think it's too manipulated out of Moscow. It's too politicized. We want a Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Same faith, but we want a national brand and the Greek patriarch granted that what's called autocephaly to the Ukrainians and that blew a gasket with the Russian Orthodox Church. They were livid. It was also forty percent of their membership roughly was in Ukraine. The Ukrainians are more religious than the Russians. And but they wanted their own church. I just I just want my own church. And the United States was supportive of that, being able to split off. Also, you'd seen in the past where the Russian KGB had penetrated the Russian Orthodox Church at times. And you know, well, that's that's not a church. That's a power projection tool. Mm. So, you know, we thought this would be a better thing, but it really blew up the Russian Orthodox Church. And you saw the the Patriarch Krill two days ago make statements about, well, this is really about uh, these... Modern pushes for different cultural norms that we want to stop. This is what he said. Uh, this is about stopping gay pride parades, and and you're just going. You did a sovereign invasion off of an invasion of a sovereign nation, off of stopping a cultural movement, and that's your justification. Because you're looking. Why isn't the Russian Orthodox Church? Criticizing this
1: exactly. Why have they been so silent?
2: And they and Putin are closely tied together. You know, Vladimir Putin had just at one point painted himself as the defender of Christendom. I remember when I first read this, and I'm going, "What? <laughs> how can how can you claim that?" And but he was seeing. I'm defending Orthodoxy. I'm defending it in Syria. That's part of his going into Syria was to defend the Syrian Orthodox Church. And I'm the one that's standing up for global Christendom. And you're, going, you're not the guy that's doing this. And Christianity can stand up for itself, uh, people of faith. But that's how he fashions himself. And I, that's part of the, the impetus. And I believe it, honestly, is in his own heart and soul as to why he thinks he's justified in doing this, which is, is totally wrong. You're, you're putting 2 million people as refugees. You're killing thousands of civilians in the name of Christendom? No. Did the U.S. miss the boat on this one? Did they not see
1: the threat of this autocephaly or Putin's reaction to it soon enough? Did they not understand what was going on there?
2: You know, there there's, there's going to be a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, and there should be, so that we don't make problems on this again. We were supportive of this. and. And we probably should have looked more at what would this cause Putin to do in reaction. He doesn't want to let Ukraine go. He doesn't believe Ukraine's a nation. He doesn't believe there are separate people. They're Russians, in his estimation. Mm-hmm. The tribe of Rus starts in Kiev. St. Vladimir in 988 or something like that leaves pagan faith to become Christians. He has the whole nation baptized in 988. That's the start of the Russian Orthodox Church is in Kiev, But then they later moved to Moscow, their headquarters there. And so to Putin, this is part of Mother Russia. And, but the Ukrainians don't want to be a part of Mother Russia. They want to be their own people. And you can look at what's happening now and see why. They don't want to be Belarus and just be a vassal state. They want to be a free, independent, European, open country. And Putin is seeing them slip away mentally, in their hearts and in their souls. And I think he probably thought this is his last chance to head them off. And I think he probably thought it was going to be a lot easier than it is. And if anything, he has solidified in their mind, we are not Russians. We are Ukrainians. He has done the opposite, I believe, of what he intended and wanted to do.
1: Bottom line, how much did that autocephaly, the separation from Moscow, how much did that have to do with the invasion that we're seeing today? What do you think?
2: Yeah, it's all speculation on my part, but I do know it was a major issue. Uh, I've tried, and I've been in contact last year with... Officials of the Russian Orthodox Church to try to engage in some discussions, and they're they're very sore about it. And Putin is very tied in with the Russian Orthodox Church, or they're very tied in with him. So I, it's undoubtedly a key piece of it. There's a guy by the name of Alexander Dugin, who's kind of the 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 thought leader. I describe him as a Steve Bannon type of guy. That he's the guy back thinking about all this stuff, and he. for Putin in these situations. You read some of his writings and he's saying, you know, look, this is about us defending orthodoxy and orthodox people from the forces of modernity and he believed the Protestants would fall first then the Catholics and it would be last for the orthodox to fall to these forces of modernity and we need a bigger uh, strategic depth to hold it off and we need to take, take more land to do it and you're just going that's crazy thinking but you listen to it and you see then the actions that happen and you're going it's it's happening that's what they're attempting to happen right. this will fail ultimately this is going to fail because the Ukrainian people are not going to be a part of Russia they they have made their mind up and we are not a part of Russia
1: is there a religious solution to this now that we know how much a part the religious the split within, you know, Moscow and Ukraine, Orthodox churches, no, you know, how much that had to do with it. Is there a religious solution
2: to end the war? There, there is. I don't know that it's one that President Putin would agree with, but that's, it's about religious freedom. Yeah. God gave us freedom. He didn't make you decide what you wanted to be. He didn't make me decide what I wanted to be. I did it freely out of my soul. God gave us this right. No government should force us to be of a certain church or a certain affiliation. This is my God-given right. And that's what that's what I push, and that's what we should push around the world. It's better for you economically, it's better for you security-wise, but it's also just makes your people more satisfied. If they got a chance to and that's what should really happen here, is just let the Ukrainians decide for themselves. And the Russians decide for themselves. But not be forced by government.
1: Hmm. And again, I just want to ask the question again, did we underestimate, did the world underestimate the effect that autocephaly was going to have on Russia's political decisions?
2: I saw a professor that's studied Russia for a number of years say the West has underestimated all of these things that Ukraine has been doing over the last ten years to kind of separate themselves from Russia. And he looked at it as you just were you were poking the bear. Each time, And, and you know, at what point in time does the bear just growl back at you and say, I've, I've had it. And, you know, obviously we've we hit that moment. Yeah. And he blames the West for not being willing to defend Ukraine more. If you're going to encourage him to poke the bear, then you need to be standing there with him. And I, I don't I don't know the accuracy or inaccuracy yeah. of that, but it makes some sense to me that uh, this was. This was a cumulative effect, and it got to a point where Putin's 69, 70, probably thinking this is my last chance. The Ukrainians are getting further and further away from us. i got to grab them now.
1: Um, one last question about the um, the member of parliament in Finland who's on trial. You know this case. Yes. Just your reaction to a Western government actually putting a member of parliament on trial. We're actually just
2: quoting the Bible, but also believing the Bible. I, I think it's horrific. I mean, this is a Western, open democracy, and you're trying somebody for quoting the Bible. That is completely against their free exercise clause. They're not doing it in a in a hateful or they're not doing it in a criminal way, and yet they're being charged in criminal court for. Standing for basically historical, biblical, moral orthodoxy, yeah. and people and I may not agree with that, uh, but we've always in the West said you had this basic freedom to practice your faith peacefully. If you go to blow up buildings, you're going to have a problem. Right. But if you're peaceful about practicing faith, you can believe what your heart leads you towards, and that's the beauty of religious freedom. It also happens to be interestingly enough, and I did this survey. The countries in the world that are best on religious freedom are also best on LGBTQ plus rights. Mm-hmm. They're the best. And it goes to the inherent dignity of the individual to choose. You get to choose which way you may not agree with my choices, but you have a right to choose. And that's really what we should stand for, is that individual human dignity to choose your own path for your soul, as long as you're peaceful at it.
1: That was Sam Brownback, former ambassador for International Religious Freedom. So let's take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be back in a moment.
2: Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today.
1: We're back with Lighthouse Faith Podcast, recording from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. The next interview is with Dirk Smith. He's the vice president of EEM, Eastern European Mission, an organization that has supplied millions of Bibles to Ukraine's public schools. He's talking about the spiritual evil at work behind the Russian invasion. What is happening now in Ukraine and how are you helping Ukrainians? Yeah,
0: of course, the news media is just covered up, but it's, it's awful. I mean, it's, it's, it's good versus evil. It really is. I mean, it is good versus evil. And, and I don't mean that it's, it's not Russians against Ukrainians. I want to be very clear on that. Really, It is not Russians versus Ukrainians. The Russian people, they don't want this. I mean, mm-hmm. now there are some that are being bullied by Putin into aligning with that, but we know lots of people. In Russia, And they're heartbroken by this. I mean, Ukrainians, they're all part of the same heritage. I mean, a lot of right. it, is, they're family members. So, yeah, this war is, uh, it's really a spiritual war in, in a lot of ways. Because Ukraine, to some extent, is kind of the Bible belt of Eastern Europe. They have been pushing Christian values and they have been standing up for God for a long time. And, and they've been a beacon of light for quite some time now. That's what really got us. We've been involved in Ukraine for a long time. Mm-hmm. But about eight years ago, they came to us and said, hey, um, we, need, we hear you guys do Bibles. And we need Bibles for our public schools. And we said... Bibles for your public schools? Exactly. That was our response. And I said, well, tell me more about this. What are we doing? And they said, well, we teach an elective that's called Christian Ethics. But we don't have Bibles. And we got together all these different faith groups, all these denominations. And we realized we got to set our all of our differences aside, and we just have to teach the Bible. We thought, well, that's a novel idea. So we need Bibles. And we said, well, we'll help you. Well, that was about eight years ago. Well, now, here we are at the end of last year. We've put Bibles in over three-fourths of their public schools. And they teach this class called Christian Ethics. And it's an elective, but over 95% of their students take the class. Wow. Wow. Now, the interesting thing is, When it first started, so people that know their Ukrainian history, so when Yanukovych got ousted and Poroshenko came in as the president, he's trying to get his arms around this country that he's now tasked with governing. And so he got reports from all of his different ministers. So when he got the report from the minister of education, he looked at it and he said, wait a second, I need to talk with you. Explain this to me. So we would call them states. They call them oblasts. So he said, why is it in this oblast, and in this oblast, and in this oblast, and this oblast, I see test scores are up and discipline problems are down? Is there a common denominator here? And the minister of education said, well, yeah, that's where we're teaching the Bible, in the schools. Now, I don't know that Poroshenko's a believer. I, I don't know, but he's pragmatic. Yeah. So he said, well, if that's what's doing it, we need to do this across the whole country. So... I got a message from one of our contacts who was very instrumental in, you know, instrumental in, in making this happen. And I wasn't going to Ukraine that year. And he sent me a message. He said, "Dirk, are you coming to Ukraine? when are you going to be here?" And I said, um, "I'm not going to be there this year." And he said, "Well, I need you to be in Kyiv for 24 hours." One of my first reaction was, "Okay, first off, I'm not important enough to do anything in 24 hours in Kyiv, So what is this about?" And so he tells me the story, and he says. I need you to go with me to meet with the Minister of Education for the nation of Ukraine, because we can't do this without you all. They have to know that you're behind this and you're going to supply Bibles. So I said, I can change my ticket for that. Wow. So we went in, met with the Minister of Education, and it was a fabulous meeting, just wonderful. And he he spent the first 20 minutes thanking us for helping change the face of their country back to a Christian biblical worldview. And then he looked at me, and, and he was talking through a translator, and I didn't think he could speak English, and then he looked at me, and in English, he said, how how can I help you? And I said, well, on occasion, we get a, a no that ask for Bibles, and at the 11th hour, their regional minister of education gets cold feet, and they back off, and we believe in creating economy. We don't, we don't, we hire their printers. We put their people to work, so we told him, we said, we're your printers are staffing up for these projects because they're big these Mm -hmm. are big printing Mm -hmm. projects so we have to put everything on hold and it really causes some issues anything you could do to help with that he in his very thick Russian accent you know said yes this is old KGB fear you know they're afraid that if they do this and they work with you they're going to lose their jobs not anymore so he looks at the end of the table to his assistant and he said put together a letter on my letterhead that says, EEM are our partners and our friends. Their books and Bibles are welcome in every school in the nation of Ukraine. Stamp it with my seal and get it across my desk for my signature, and then circulate it around the country. Then he looks back at me and says, will this help? I was like, yeah, that's a step in the right direction. So that really helped open things up to where now we have a very good relationship with the whole Christian ethics environment that's taking place in Ukraine.
1: You you know, uh, Ambassador Sam Brabock, I just interviewed him about this, spit within the, uh, the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukraine Orthodox Church. And that a lot of people, a lot of political forces just didn't see mm-hmm. how important this was going to be in what Putin's doing right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's your take on that? Well, again, I hate to paint... I, I never want to paint
0: anybody into a box. Mm-hmm. You know, we do too much of that. Mm-hmm. We, we really say... We do that across everything. We, we say, okay, because... I'm a Yankee and I was born in Philadelphia. Well, I know exactly where to put you because that's the box I'm going to put you in. Well, no, you don't know me. Why don't you pause and talk to me and get to know me? Well, the same thing is true with Russian Orthodox and Ukrainian Orthodox. Now, the Russian Orthodox, sure, they've got an impetus right now. They've got, they've got pressure from Putin. And he's a, he's a crazy, scary guy. I mean he is he's evil. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it. If you saw his his first speech that he went out with, man he had crazy look in his eye and I mean he's rewriting Ukraine's history. It was unstable. Very unstable. Mm-hmm. So you've got that guy with that much power breathing down the throats of the Russian Orthodox Church. Now sure there's some people that probably you know believe in his ideology, but there's a lot of them that don't. I mean we know good Russian people. So I would hate to paint it as, boy, this is the Russian Orthodox Church against the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And I think to some degree, it's more Putin against mm-hmm. the. Well, that was the Orthodox idea was church. that
1: Putin was using the Russian Orthodox Church oh, yeah. as, as soft power. Absolutely, absolutely, and he's he's going to pressure
0: them, and he's going to he, he's going to do that as much as he possibly can to to get to get it off of him and to use them in in ways that uh, that are just ab- absolutely evil.
1: Is is the church? The conduit through which this can be solved or not? When you say church... I see the Orthodox Church or Russian yeah, I, Church, do you well,
0: think? Well, I, I would say the church, global, yes. Yes. That is, that's the only answer. This is a spiritual battle, and we have to battle it spiritually. And the only way that's going to happen is Christchurch, church, globally, has to battle this on their knees and really working to, to fight the evil. Take it head on, you know. And, and I think we're seeing that. We, I don't think we've ever seen, at least in my lifetime, good versus evil like this. I mean, this is right and wrong. And we're, we're seeing people realize, wow, okay, so there is truth. There is absolute truth. You know, for all the talk in our political correctness that there's not absolute truth, this is, this is wrong and this is right. And people are seeing that. And so I think the church really has an obligation to step up and say, this is right. And this is why it's right. It's because Jesus says so. I mean, this is this is what the Bible says. Um, so I think that is the only hope, is mm-hmm. the, the church to step up, help these refugees, number one, with their needs and love them, take care of them. But at the same time, it's going to be interesting. A lot of these refugees are Christians. And they're moving into a western part of Europe that hasn't really embraced Christianity. So we've seen God do this numerous times take evil and turn it to good and you know we we saw back in 2015 the refugee crisis in the middle east and all these refugees were pouring into into greece and everybody called it refugee crisis we called it refugee opportunity because muslims are coming to jesus by the thousands i mean we couldn't keep up with the request for bibles in farsi and arabic i mean it's just incredible what's happening so god god will use it but we as his people have got to be faithful and we've got to trust him, and we've got to love like Jesus loved, and we got to not judge the person in cross and identify them. We got to we got to love them and get to know them and be Jesus to them and, and preach Jesus.
1: What is being an NRB? How has that helped your cause, not just globally but in Ukraine? I think exposure
0: to what's really going on and uh, the opportunity. We we're getting requests. Our request for Bibles has just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. After the refugees get to the border and they're getting humanitarian aid, it's amazing how many of them are asking for Bibles in Russian and Ukrainian. Now we have some in our warehouse in Kiev, but we're trying to get them, you know, get them out of there. But we're printing as fast as we can uh, because it's either somebody who has a Bible and they're talking, they're they're evangelizing, yeah, they're talking to people about Jesus because the christians are the ones who are they don't like this and it's stressful but they've got a peace about them and they're moving and other people are looking at them and saying how are you calm? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Well, they need bibles. So they're trying to talk to them. So we're seeing a, a real opportunity there. We've got a we've got a a campaign going right now that we started and it was going to be there before the war broke out and it's called our bibles for kids campaign where we're doing a We've been asked 800,000 children's Bibles. We have been requested in 19 different languages. Now, a lot of them that were earmarked to go to Russia and Ukraine are still doing them in Russian and Ukrainian, but they're, be, they're going to go to the refugee children that are pouring into these countries. Wow. So, uh, a real what is the, opportunity. What is the
1: most important thing you want people to know about what's going on in Ukraine?
0: I think the most important thing I would say is this is these are beautiful people who have been bold in their beliefs, have really been bold for their freedom. They've been bold in trying to, to make their country better, to fight uh, a lot of a lot of the, uh, the evil that has been going on, a lot of the dishonesty in, in government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're going to keep fighting. I mean, we, we're seeing it. We're seeing it in their spirit. And that spirit, honestly, for me, I'm, I'm seeing it come from a lot of their people who are believers. Because yeah. they, they know... This isn't it. They know they're fighting something much greater than, than what's here now. Wow. Okay.
1: And that was Dirk Smith, Vice President of EEM, Eastern European Mission. And last we spoke with Jeff Myers of Summit Ministries, which equips and supports the rising generation to embrace God's truth and champion a biblical worldview. Jeff answers the question of what does the war in Ukraine have to do with God's will?
3: Well, I think I think some people look at uh, anything that Russia is involved in as a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, I tend to back away from that and ask the question: What's the spiritual battle that's taking place here? Uh, in a biblical worldview, the Apostle Paul says we wrestle not against principal—we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the spiritual world. Okay? That's a real problem for our leaders, that there might be a spiritual battle that's taking place inside the, the political battles and the military battles. But that's what I want to look at. What's the spiritual aspect to it? What is the physical aspect? What's the diplomatic aspect? All of those things are important and if we ignore the spiritual aspect, we sometimes miss with the rising generation what they're really asking, which is, why would God allow something like this? This is painful. Or what about those poor people who are suffering? How you know, how do we help them? That's something we've got to have on the table.
1: How do you talk to young people about this and what do you say to them? Why would God allow this kind of pain and suffering?
3: Yeah. Well, the the question of pain and suffering is something every worldview has to answer. So a secular worldview says pain and suffering have no meaning. We just evolved through random chance processes. There's no point to any of this, so it's just bad luck. Other worldviews say, oh, it's because we're not one with all that is. You know, the good and evil are actually the same thing. A Christian worldview approaches this and says we have sin." In our hearts we have sin in the world and we are broken and we are in need of redemption and we know that we are and we know who we want to be redeemed to because we know that we're made in God's image so when I start talking about the problem of pain with young adults I usually start with that we're made as image bearers of God sin affects everything everywhere all of the time but God has seen fit to make us people with free will Free will is a super important concept to a Christian worldview. If I taught my phone to say, I love you when I wake up in the morning, does my phone love me? No, because it's a machine. It's just doing what I told it to do. God did not want us to be machines. He wanted us to have the opportunity to love, which means we must also have the ability to hate. So when we see bad things happen in the world, Uh, inhumanity of one group toward another, what we're seeing is the effects of sin, and it should point us toward the fact that we really need to be redeemed.
1: Um, I had a really great thought, and I just totally forgot it, but but the idea of um, this idea of spiritual warfare, and I think it seems as though um, the political world, and you talked about this before, but the political world does not acknowledge it as a reality. Um, And just talking with um, Ambassador Baumbach, talking about what happened behind, you know, the Orthodox split, talk to us about the spiritual reality and the spiritual forces of evil that are at work in the world. And, you know, it's not just, you know, like, you know, uh, Hollywood stuff. That's right. Well, some people get freaked out when they hear the term
3: spiritual warfare because they think of battles between angels and demons and they start asking, what does this have to do with policy, right? So they don't don't really want to go there. But the reality is that we as human beings have a spiritual nature as well as a physical one. We can't understand our physical nature if we don't understand our spiritual nature. We can't understand our spiritual nature if we try to remove it from the physical. So those two things always go together. In this particular situation, I think part of the spiritual battle is a, re- a battle over religious freedom and in Russia there is a, a desire on the part of Russia's leader to oppress the people of Ukraine's religious freedom because they have sort of had almost like a new reformation they've broken away remember though all of the difficulties and the burnings and all of that stuff that took place in Reformation history we're seeing something similar with Russia and Ukraine right now so the Ukrainians are saying uh, we want to have the religious freedom to worship as we see fit. That's something we should be able to support. But it's not something that fits into policy. It's something that fits into more in the spiritual
0: realm.
1: I think that, that was the thing that we talked about, is that the world, I think, even the United States kind of dropped the ball on understanding how much the autocephaly really angered Putin and that because he took 40% of the church.
3: Well, there are Christians in Russia and there are Christians in the Ukraine so this isn't necessarily an anti-christian sort of battle it is it, it is a it's a determination on the part of the people of ukraine that they want to have political freedom economic freedom and religious freedom they are a sovereign nation that's why so many americans are standing up for them because they're thinking well if russia can destroy ukraine's sovereignty in those three areas Then could China destroy Taiwan's sovereignty in those three areas? And then what other dictators in the world would learn from that and begin to destroy other freedoms? So standing for the religious freedom of the people of the Ukraine is an integral part of standing for their economic and political freedom.
1: I kind of feel like um, the NRB, this, this convention right now, is almost charged with putting the biblical worldview to the test because of what's happening right now. We haven't seen this since World War II.
3: Well, we're, we're facing a global, uh, we're, we're facing a war in Europe, the likes of which we have not seen since World War II. And at the National Religious Broadcasters, I'm seeing people come together from all denominations, people who are Christians, people who are Jewish, all coming together, recognizing now is the time to stand for religious freedom. If we let that fall, then political and economic freedom will not be far behind. This is the line in the sand.
1: Just anything else you want me to know about the biblical moving forward and Ukraine?
3: Whenever I think of issues like Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I'm always thinking of this rising generation. I'm thinking of the young adults. How are they experiencing this? So it would be really important for parents and caregivers to just have the conversations and not just have a one-time conversation, but be willing to say, Anytime you would like to talk about this, anytime something comes up, I want you to know I'm here, and there will be war in the world. This is actually normal, sadly, in human history. Only 268 years, according to Will Durant, of all of human history have been without war. So this is the normal situation, but doesn't mean that we have to sit back and do nothing. If we waited until we, everything was peaceful to do something, it never would have happened in human history. The question is, how do we stand? How do we stand with the people of Ukraine, but how do we develop our own sense of purpose and meaning in life based on truth?
1: And you know, there one last question about when secular people will see that the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukraine Orthodox Church are worshiping the same God, same Christianity, and they say, see, they can't even get along even though they're both Christians.
3: It's always There always have been difficulties with different Christian groups getting along with other Christian groups. It's rare in world history to see people who are, uh, have a tribal aspect to what they're doing get along with other people who have a tribal aspect to what they're doing. I'm not sure that this is really all that unique. Uh, the truth is, though, it could be an opportunity for Christians around the world to say, let's get together brothers and sisters and recognize there's a bigger battle being fought here. It's a spiritual one, and we have to be unified as God's image bearers.
1: And that was Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries. I'm Lauren Green, and thanks for listening to this special episode of Lighthouse Faith Podcast from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Have a blessed day.
2: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.